try to play, but you're never gonna beat me. Look the other way, what I'm doing ain't easy. Buddy. Hey everybody, what is going on? This is Cody here with Drew Code Sports Talk. I got a good episode coming up for you guys. We're gonna be talking about some NBA playoff, and I've got a couple of Drew Take questions for you guys. So you guys aren't gonna want to miss this episode. Uh, this is a solo show for now. Uh, Drew and I weren't able to get our schedules aligned to do a uh, episode together. He's got a lot of family functions. We couldn't do it on Thursday, which is when we normally record. But no worries, guys. I got you guys covered. Uh, but in this episode, we will be going over NBA playoff talk. Uh, also, like I mentioned, we will be going over Drew Take questions. So you guys don't want to miss that. Uh, before we get started, though, guys, don't forget to subscribe, like, comment on the YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on all the major platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now on TikTok at Drew Code Sports Talk. So without further ado, guys, let's get started. So he's been looking for somebody who could save him Instead of searching inside for what they gave him A strong will, strong mind causes mayhem We could change the world, change times, rearrange them Alright guys, what is going on? Thank you guys so much for joining. Uh, again, this is a solo show. Drew and I weren't able to get on the same uh, recording together, so I've got a, a short solo episode for you guys, but no worries. It's same great content, same information that we would have passed off to you guys anyways. Uh, we are going to be talking about some NBA playoffs and, like I mentioned, Drew Code questions. Uh, normally, we would do the power rankings but uh, for the for MLB power rankings, but I'm going to let Drew do that next week. Uh, when we get back together, he'll have a brand new five list, and I'll have one to combat against his, and that should be a lot of fun. So don't forget about that one. Also, some quick housekeeping notes. Uh, we actually will be doing an NBA schedule uh, prediction our annual one that we've done for the last couple of years. We will be doing that one division by division uh, within the next two weeks or so. So look out for that one. We'll be uh, sending out some stuff on social media, uh, specifically Instagram and uh, Twitter. So look out for those channels to see when we will be doing the uh, NFL record prediction. Again, since the new schedule came out on the 12th, which was, uh, I believe it was Thursday. No, no, pardon me, Wednesday. And so we will be going over that um together i believe in like two weeks or so uh we just i honestly got to look through the schedule got to do our thing and then we'll be parsing out like a good eight week series regarding that so you guys definitely don't want to miss that uh so that's a housekeeping note um let's see i think that's pretty much it you guys so briefly uh we're gonna go dive into the uh nba playoffs Whew, man i don't know if you guys have been watching lately but it has been an intense playoff year in my opinion like so many good storylines uh in the first round obviously we had the nets that got swept which was basically the championship favorites to begin the year uh and then we had you know we had a team like the pelicans that were basically pushing the suns to six game series um just had a lot of good interesting storylines and it, it keeps getting better with the semifinals so there's definitely no doubt about that and uh you know uh for those that watched last night I'm recording this on Saturday. So that was that watch last night. Friday night, we had the Bucks and the Celtics who tied basically are now going to game seven on Sunday. And then the Warriors closed out the Wizards, or excuse me, the Grizzlies, which was a huge one. Uh, but if you guys watched also the games on Thursday, we had the Heat close out the Sixers, which is a lot of controversy around that one. And then the Mavs pushed to game seven uh, against the Suns in Dallas, which is also on Sunday. So huge storylines. 
lots of fun. So we're going to first talk about the Bucks and the Celtics and who's going to win game seven. So I'm going to, this is a tough one because every, every game has been a, a huge challenge for each one. I think what makes it huge is the Bucks have essentially won two games in, uh, in Boston already. Uh, one of the games they beat in Boston, they came back from being down, I think, as many as you know, 12 or 13 points in game five. Uh, that pushed it to game six uh, and where they were essentially up three to two. And then Boston evidently has came back um, in Milwaukee to push to a seven. So now we're going back to Boston. So definitely home court is not safe in this series. It's safe to say that. But there's two absolute crazy performances by both uh, Jason Tatum and uh, Giannis that essentially were, for Giannis, record-breaking, 44 and 20. Uh, Tatum had 46. Uh, you know, it, it it was enough, obviously, to push to a seven. But uh, the series has been great. Milwaukee Bucks are showing some championship heart, though, being able to be this good without Chris Middleton. Imagine if he was back in the lineup. Uh, you know, it probably they probably would have already beaten the Celtics by now just because that's their their shooter. But, uh, you know, credit to the Celtics, though, for gutting this out and basically pushing the defending champions to a seventh game, which is, you know, it's really hard to do, especially if you're a team that's been to the playoffs very often, but not able to get past certain feats. I know with this band of team being the Celtics, I think that they've been to one conference final together uh, and in terms of. Uh, Brown, Tatum, and and Marcus Smart, but you know this whole team collectively has basically grown up together. And the Bucks have also the same way; they developed a lot of their guys, and they've stuck around, which is why they won the championship last year. But if I had to pick a winner for Game Seven, I'm going to go with the Bucks on this one. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we did our predictions, um, uh, Drew kind of put me on the spot. I think we had just started like the first couple of games of the semifinal series. Uh, I had predicted that the Bucks would beat the Celtics. I don't remember if I said seven games or not, but I'm going to say, obviously, we're at seven games, so I can't really say anything different. But I will still side with the Bucks here winning in uh, in game seven. Um, defending champions, a lot of experience. Honestly, I don't think that Giannis is going to let this team lose. As we saw, essentially, he put this team on his back and almost beat the Celtics last night. Um, I think Drew Holiday, though, even though he was the hero in game five where he had two game changing steals against Marcus Smart on literally back to back possessions, it seemed like. I think, though, he's going to have to he's going to have to be a little bit uh, a little bit more available, not only on the defensive side, but push himself offensively. Giannis is not going to be able to put up, you know, 44 and 20 and lose again. Uh, we're going to need, you know, Drew Holiday to step up. We're going to also need Brooke Lopez, uh, Brooke Lopez, excuse me, to, to you know, find his rhythm. He only shot six times in game six. You know, you're going to need more than that. Bobby Portis Jr., we're going to need more than just eight shots out of that as well. You know, and a lot of the role players, they obviously didn't give up a lot of shots because Giannis took 30 all by himself, which is great. That's what you want from your from your guy. But you also need players to hit big shots. and the Celtics have a really good shooting team, and when their shots falling, it's hard to stop them. You know, Tatum shot at 32 times, you know, had 46 points. Uh, then you had Marcus Smart, who shot 16. Brown, that shot 16. So they're not afraid to shoot the ball, and when they do, they basically give the ample support that Tatum needs to to win. 
Uh, the Bucks are going to need the same thing from their supporting cast, but I still trust the Bucks in this respect. Championship pedigree. They've been here before. Giannis is, in my opinion, the best player in basketball today. I mean, just look at this entire series, what he's been doing. Granted, the Celtics gave him a little bit of difficulty in games uh, games two, and I believe it was game three as well. Gave him some difficulty where he didn't shoot the ball as well. But I, I don't think he's had a game under 30 points yet and essentially has a 40-point game back-to-back in game five and six. So I think the Bucs are going to win this in seven, but you know, the Celtics with their shooting, especially with the Bucks, sometimes allowing them to shoot the three. When the Celtics capitalize on that, they're a dangerous team. But like I said, ultimately, I think that the Celtics are going to pull it out, or excuse me, the Bucks are going to pull it out just because of their championship pedigree and their experience. So that's who I've got going on in game seven. Uh, so this one is a pretty big topic, the Sixers and the Heat. So like I mentioned, for those that don't know, on Thursday, uh, the Heat closed out uh, the Sixers in, in Game 6. A lot of I say a lot of controversy around this, not because of anything that happened in the game, but just uh, for the Sixers side of it. As those that know, um, Joel Embiid was injured uh, in the previous series with a torn, I think it was a right thumb ligament. And then, obviously, in the series in Toronto, he fractured his eye socket and had a concussion where he was out for the first two games of the uh, of the Heat and Sixers in this current series and when he came back he uh you know they the Sixers tied tied the series um but I think the controversy surrounding it is you know you trade away Ben Simmons uh Seth Curry Andre Drummond I think it was two first round draft picks if I'm not mistaken for James Harden and some a handful of other assets for James Harden to has not attempted more than 20 shots per game and this is probably the most egregious one of all is in game six, a closeout game. You would suspect that James Harden would shoot more than nine times. Um, I would expect him to shoot more than nine times. And I think what was more apparent is in the first half of that game, he was, I think, four of seven. He had scored 11 points. You can tell he had his, his, his shooting. His shooting was there. But he only attempted two shots the rest of the the rest of the second half, and Embiid uh, and Maxi each scored twenty respectively. But it wasn't enough of clearly because Jimmy Butler had uh, thirty two, and Bam basically put the clamps on Embiid, uh, which is exactly what the Heat needed to move on. When uh, Andrew and I were talking about the series, one of the things that I had brought up was even I believe if Embiid were to come back, which he did. I was still I was still suspicious of I think the Miami Heat's defense is too good. I I will give the Sixers this respect. I did not think that they would get one game. I thought, you know, they'd probably get swept just because look at the bad shooting. Embiid's injured. Miami knows that they're not going to take away Embiid, but they can take away the weapons around Embiid to where Embiid's the only one that's going to score and obviously one guy's not going to beat you. So that's that was the uh the thought behind it. But you know, then you have Embiid comes back and they win the next two games. Embiid obviously shined bright, but James Harden only had one good game. I think he scored 31 points in, I think it was game four. And that was it. You know, the Sixers get routed in game five, which pushed to game six, and the Heat closed them out. They weren't going to mess around any further. And what they do, they, they took away Embiid's weapons. You know, they took away... 
I think James Harden took himself away, so I won't give the Heat that kind of credit. But, you know, the Heat made it very difficult for Harden to get any shots off. Uh, he ma- he was uncomfortable. It looked like he didn't want to be any part of that. Um, you know, Tobias Harris did fairly well, but obviously in the Sixers office, Tobias Harris is a fourth option at best, which is kind of terrible considering how poorly James Harden played. If that was the case, you know, Harris should have gotten more than 13 shots off in game six if it was a win or go home series. But I think then the biggest question then turns out to who do you blame in the Sixers, um, which is a tough one because, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into this. They pieced together this team that was, uh, well, you know, Harden that was traded for more than halfway through the season that was injured and then came back. Embiid was injured. So they hadn't ha- haven't had a whole lot of time to be a cohesive unit. But, you know, you would think, though, that Harden would still have enough in him to be of a scorer, a shooter, do something to be a better contributor. And, you know, there's rumors that it's because he doesn't like Doc Rivers, but Daryl Moore gave his support for Doc Rivers. So now it's, you know, who else is it? I think that the Sixers just ran into some bad luck with having a a really good team who, by the way, I I did predict that the Miami Heat was going to move on to the NBA Finals. So even if Miami faces the Celtics or the Bucks, I think Miami is a is a strong enough team to get past either one of them. It's going to go to seven games, just just foreshadowing on that part of it. But you know, still the Sixers went against a team that's arguably arguably, excuse me, probably the number one team in the East, or at least the second best, just because of their continuity, their coaching, the players that they have with them, and. Uh, you know, you can tell that this team is not, referring to the Sixers, are not a together team. I mean, look at what the exit interview looked like for Embiid and James Harden. James Harden is, I guess, willing to do whatever it takes to be there, but he's not giving his support to Doc Rivers. Maybe that's why James Harden wasn't James Harden of old. I don't think Embiid took a shot at James Harden when he made the comment that we we're expecting uh, Houston James Harden. That's not who he is anymore. I think he's just referencing... That James Harden was years ago. He's been to Brooklyn and now back here. It's been some years in between that. Um, and that's why he's not the same as he used to. I think that that was more of the comment, not necessarily a jab at James Harden. Because I don't believe Embiid is afraid to show his feelings. He's made that clear about what he felt about Ben Simmons when there was that controversy around him uh, last season. And I think Ben Sim- I think, uh, excuse me. Joel Embiid wants to make this work with James Harden. I think James Harden wants it ultimately too, but I do think that there is something suspicious when it comes to James Harden trying to give his seal of approval to Doc Rivers, um, considering that you do also have a coach like, uh, you know, Dan Tony that's also on the bench who is in love with James Harden and vice versa. Uh, and Daryl Morey has obviously made it no, has made his uh, his feelings known that he loves you know, Dan Tony and uh, Daryl Morley didn't bring in Doc Rivers. That was somebody that was already there when he got brought onto the team. But I think for the Sixers, you know, as, as what we said with the Lakers, is kind of a collection of everything. You can't really uh, blame Joel Embiid. He's injured. He still gutted it out. Did he do the best he could? No. But the guy has a fractured eye. He has a, bro- he has a torn ligament in his thumb. He's barely able to shoot the ball, so I don't know what else you want him to do. I mean, you can point the finger at James Harden for not being a second option that he should have been. Uh, You could blame the turnovers, maybe coaching changes uh, in terms of adjustments. But 
you know, the Sixers are going to have a long summer to kind of think about this and see what's and see what's uh, to happen. I mean, they've got to think about if they want to sign James Harden to a, a long term deal. I wouldn't do it myself just because I think he's in the same boat as Kyrie Irving, where, you know, if he's not 100 percent in, then he will make your team toxic. And who knows, maybe James Harden didn't buy it. And that's why his behavior demonstrated why he didn't want to be there or he doesn't want the coach there whatever the case may be. But, you know, if I were Philadelphia, I probably wouldn't commit to James Harden long-term because one, obviously he's been injured more frequently throughout his career. He's a bit older. Again, if he doesn't get exactly what he wants, then he just throws a fit and will hold out or do whatever it takes to get out of there. Uh, a couple examples are he showed up to Houston's camp out of shape to where he made his way to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, obviously that was a hot mess. You can't really blame him for leaving, but then he goes over to Philadelphia, and it's Joel Embiid's team for sure. Uh, but you kind of get the sense that James Harden is not throwing around his weight where he wants changes. But, you know, Embiid loves Doc Rivers. James Harden doesn't. So now if you're ownership or management, who are you listening to, Harden or Embiid? And I think this is going to be a huge thing because if you side with Harden over Embiid, considering Embiid was drafted to the Sixers, you could fracture that whole team and – and essentially your relationship with Embiid and and James Harden has had a plethora of good talent that he is teamed with that he's left on poor terms. Chris Paul, Dwight Howard, uh, Russell Westbrook, um, Kyrie Irving. So, you know, this is a very interesting situation for the Sixers, and I'm curious to see what happens the rest of the summer uh, with their offseason. So, all right, moving on, you guys, to the next series, which is uh, – which is uh, Phoenix and Dallas. So I was foolish enough to say that uh, Phoenix is probably going to sweep Dallas and, and Drew did, did push back on that. He said, Luca could probably push it, get you at least one, maybe even two games. Well, Luca did better than that. He got three. (laughs) So he's pushed the Suns all the way to a seven games. Uh, Again, I've already made it known a couple episodes ago that I think the Suns are going to be back in the NBA finals. And I think that they are, I thought that they were hungrier than last year, and I think and I thought that uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, that whole team was going to just basically run through the Mavericks, get to the NBA uh, conference finals, and then who? And I I forecasted that it was going to be the Warriors and the Suns. I still believe that. Obviously, this is Game Seven. I'm not saying that they're out of it, but. I did forecast that it was going to be the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors meeting in the uh, conference finals where I had Phoenix winning Golden State. And I'll explain that in a little bit when I talk about Golden State. But now Luka with essentially no help. I mean, you have Bronson, but, you know, Bronson is such a young player and he was basically discovered. I mean, he's been on the Mavericks team since Luka has been on the team, but he's basically finally come into a player of his own this year. But... They really don't have any other supporting cast. Now, if they had Tim Hardaway Jr., I would say, okay, they stand a better chance because now they have another scorer, maybe someone that can get in the mid-range game because Luka is really good at you know, creating his own shot, creating shots for others, but they really don't have anybody on the perimeter who can get you a mid-range shot if needed. Now, there has been a, a player in Bullock that's kind of come out. Uh, he's a three-point specialist, so you know his shot is falling, but... Only at home in this seventh game is going to be in Phoenix, where Phoenix is like a whole nother place as well. A hostile environment. 
you know, you can you can already just guess that the Suns, the uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden are going to thrive off of that home crowd and that energy that they're going to bring. But, you know, Luca though, does not care. <laughs> he has no regard to who your home crowd is, to where the game is going to be played. He's going to show up and do his thing. Uh, which is great. I just think that what makes this tough is I don't know if everybody else is going to do that. Dimwitty, who is uh, somebody that they traded Porzingis for uh, from the Wizards, and you got to wonder, can Dimwitty off the bench give give them offense? Uh, I don't know that. I, I can't trust that because Dimwitty has been a little inconsistent. Bronson will probably be consistent. Um but Bullock, can he be consistent? Uh, Finney Smith, can he be consistent? Uh, Powell, can he be consistent? I don't know. And especially on the road in a hostile environment. Uh, I think the Phoenix Suns will focus a little bit more on getting Devin Booker started sooner. Uh, because Booker in game six didn't shoot the ball very well. Had tons of turnover. So did Chris Paul. But I think that Devin Booker is going to basically have that Mamba mentality and close out this series. He may go for 40, guys. Um, that's what I'm thinking. I think Chris Paul, though, is one that I'm concerned with because if, if for example, the Dallas Mavericks end up winning Game 7, which is very possible, on the road against Chris Paul's sons, who we've kind of all dubbed Chris Paul as the quote-unquote point god because he's such a great player. Anywhere he goes, he turns him to an instant playoff contender, but he can't get them pass anything last year was his first trip to the nba finals and even still that was riddled with is he going to be able to do it uh you know the first couple of games against uh phoenix and uh, milwaukee you know chris paul looked phenomenal and then for some reason he just turned the ball over left and right and so you gotta wonder man why why is it that as the deeper in the playoffs you get you turn you get more turnover prone you don't just play your game is he overthinking? Is he just, you know, shy in the moment? You know, I hate to say this, but I don't want Chris Paul to end up being the Carl Malone or John Stockton of the of this generation's NBA. And for younger audiences, which I doubt that we have that many of them, but in the history of the NBA, you had players like Charles Barkley, uh, John Stockton, uh, Carl Malone. Those players never ended up getting NBA championships because of a guy named Michael Jordan. Um, you know, the Utah Jazz, when John Stockton and Carl Malone were on the team, basically the best one-two duo that the NBA had seen at that moment, um, got to the NBA Finals two years in a row, met the Bulls two years in a row, and couldn't get past uh, Michael Jordan. And that's probably why they couldn't do it. And as history shows that they, you know, John Stockton ended up retiring. Carl Malone ends up leaving Utah for the Lakers. I believe this is like 03-04 season. But anyways, couldn't get a championship. Same thing with Charles Barkley. You know, even teamed up towards the uh, latter part of his career with Hakeem Olajuwon. And I believe it was um, Clyde Drexler. And at one point, Scottie Pippen. Couldn't get to the, couldn't win the NBA Finals either. And so... I'm just afraid that Chris Paul is going to be that type of player. He's kind of like in that same echelon as uh, as Carmelo Anthony, where no doubt Hall of Fame players, but how do you you can't really submit your legacy without a championship? And you know what makes that difficult is Chris Paul is phenomenal, no no doubt about it. In the regular season, probably the best point guard in the entire league, definitely top five. You know, all time, you can probably even say he's in top 10, maybe top seven, depending on how your list looks. But 
without a championship, which makes that very, very difficult because you would think how hungry he is for wanting to win, he would be better. But for some reason, at games like game six, where he had, I think it was like five turnovers. Uh, and I think there's a stat out there now that shows that he's actually has more turnovers in this series than he does field goals made, which is hard to tell, which is hard to see because, you know, just in the last series, he didn't commit a single turnover in playing the Pelicans, even though the Pelicans played them very difficult, uh, very tough, I should say. So that's one of the things I'm concerned with. I think Chris Paul really needs to, I don't want to, it's hard to say step up because, I mean, what more can the guy do? But in game six, he only had four assists. He only attempted seven shots. Granted, he walked away with 13 points, was in foul trouble. But I think with a guy like Chris Paul, you got to play smart. You got to, you, you know you're not going to be able to body Luka just because he's taller than you, but you got to be able to get your other guys involved. You got to be able to hit your shots when you're there. I think Chris Paul is kind of like the X factor, which is hard to say because he's essentially the leader of this team and he's a coach on the floor, but he cannot just be a guy that only shoots the ball seven times and turns it over another five times. You got to be, you got to be opposite in that. You got to hit your shots and not turn the ball over and protect it. I mean, the Suns in game six committed 22 turnovers compared to the Mavericks that only committed six. Right there, you cut those turnovers in half even, and you're probably in the game. If not, maybe you potentially win the game because now you give your guys more opportunities. But, you know, the big the big thing about that is you got Devin Booker committing four turnovers, Chris Paul turning the ball over five times, Jay Crowder turning it over five times. There's literally everybody on the Suns team except for one player that only played four minutes that committed uh, a turnover. So, you know, you got to just be able to protect the ball. And if the Suns can do that, and if Chris Paul can step up and do that, get back to the conference finals, get back to the NBA finals, I think that they'll win it all. I think that they're that talented. I think they're that hungry to do it. But if you lose to the Mavericks in game seven, who arguably don't have anyone outside of Luka, I think that takes a huge hit to Chris Paul's reputation. And now we got a question like how, I mean, there's no doubt of his talent, Chris Paul referring to. But, you know, now where does he rank on the all times considering every time he gets into the playoffs, he gets bounced one way or another. You know, he went against uh, uh, Steph Curry, lost to Steph Curry. Now is going up against Luka. And if he loses to Luka, who's essentially shorthanded with no other help other than himself, that's not a very good look. So, all right, guys. So, yeah, very interesting stuff going on right now in the NBA. So last one I'm going to get to before I go to a break is going to be the Golden State Warriors uh, closed out the Grizzlies last night in six games. Uh, they did, I don't want to say come uh, came from behind, but they were down for a majority of that game in the fourth quarter. Or No, there were several leave changes. I got to change that back. Uh, there were several leave, leave, lead changes in game six that um, made the game super entertaining. I will say it was probably one of the best games I've seen uh, in the playoffs this year. And, you know, credit to the Memphis Grizzlies for not having John Morant and keeping up with the Warriors. And Game 5 absolutely blew them out. Worst loss I've ever seen a playoff team take. I mean, it wasn't even close. It was almost embarrassing for the Warriors. Uh, and then the Warriors obviously bounced back at home, closed out the series. Klay uh, Thompson scored 30 points. Uh, Steph Curry scored 19 points. Uh, Wiggins had a really good productive um, defensive game and offensive game and Draymond Green even you know contributed with 14 points which is very rare he's normally just a rebound and a, and a distributor He'll, he may have you know two or three shots here and there but 
definitely out-rebounded like crazy. Uh, Kevon Looney, though, probably the MVP of the game, had 22 rebounds, uh, 11 offensive, which was huge, and 11 defensive. Uh, Kevon Looney had basically four offensive rebounds within one possession that essentially erased like 30 seconds off the game clock, which helped propel the Warriors because then they scored a three-pointer, you know, progressed the lead. And it was definitely what the Warriors had needed. But, you know, for the most of that game, the Memphis Grizzlies hung in there. Um, You know, and as I have here queued up in the questions, can the Warriors get to the NBA Finals? So I think they absolutely could. I don't have them going there. Again, I'm predicting that the Suns will beat the Mavs and that the Warriors and Suns will meet. And and I'm predicting that the Suns will beat the Warriors. And here's why. Uh, Steve Kerr basically was out the following three games. Uh, one of the games where Mike Brown was coaching those three games, they were down for the entire game, referring to game four, came back in the last 45 seconds, and that's when they win the game. But they looked so disorganized. Uh, they looked like they didn't want to be physical. They were turning the ball over like crazy. Game five, of course, as we know, they got blown out. I mean, it was absolutely pathetic. Game six is where, you know, majority of this game, and I say majority like all the way up to the fourth quarter, turning the ball over, not looking under control. You know, you would think they don't have John Morant. And granted, they maybe the Grizzlies may be better defensively without John without John Morant, which is a whole nother thing. But the Warriors, who have all their weapons, no one's injured, couldn't close out the Grizzlies at home. That was when the Grizzlies just basically played out of their minds. At one point, had a 55-point lead over the Warriors. And the Warriors, obviously, you know, it wasn't a very good game. They let that one go. It was it was over by the third quarter. Games like that, games where they seem disorganized, games where they, I don't want to say play careless basketball, but they don't take care of the ball. They make these lazy passes. Granted, they are a loose team to begin with, and they are an offensive juggernaut, so they I mean, they can catch fire very quickly. But in my opinion, teams like the Suns, who are very good defensively, and if you give them opportunities to, you know, have their defense ignite their offense, you're not going to win. In the couple of games that the Suns played in the Mavs, it was close up until the second half, and then third quarter starts, and... The Suns would then post 40 points in that quarter, and they wouldn't let more than 17 or 18 points go out of that same quarter. You know, game, I think it was game five, where the Suns basically blew out the Mavs. They scored 40 points in the third quarter to the Mavs, 17 points. And that's where they had that big ballooned lead. And I believe it was the same thing in game three or game two. I want to say game two where they basically scored 40-something points in the fourth quarter and just ran away from the Mavs, even though it was close all the way up to the fourth quarter. And again, based off of turnovers, and the Warriors are turnover-prone. They turn the ball over like crazy. Just even last night in their win, they had 19 turnovers. That is a ton of turnovers, and a majority of those were in the third quarter, which is where the Suns essentially turn on their offense. You know, the Suns like to kind of, Get get familiar with you in the first quarter. They'll find their shots in the second quarter. Third quarter and fourth quarter, when the second half starts, that's when they're they're shooting the ball. That's when they're turning on their offense. Uh, and in my opinion, that's when they are most deadly. And in my opinion, the Warriors, although a championship pedigree team, they are really, really relying on this team basically able to hit any shot, which is great. They, they could. With Jordan Poole, 
Clay Thompson, uh, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, and of course they got a bevy of other players too that can contribute. But you know they're really relying on those guys to catch fire to score. You know each of them thirty points, but. I don't know if they can get past the Suns with how they get lackadaisical, they get lazy, they turn the ball over, and they get into a hole. And yes, they can climb out of it quickly, but someone like the Suns, who essentially were like a top five defensive team, you, they're not going to let that go. You know, Memphis is a young, inexperienced team, which is why, you know, essentially sometimes they let the lead go, played over aggressive. Uh, you had Dylan Brooks that basically injured Gary Payton Jr. But they were a very aggressive team, and the Warriors didn't play very well to that aggression. The Suns are a very aggressive team, and they're arguably better defensively than the Grizzlies. And you had the Warriors playing really lazy with the Grizzlies, and maybe because they respected them, but maybe didn't give them the respect that they deserve in terms of how they are defensively, which sparks their offense. And I think the Suns obviously are a bigger challenge than that. And I don't see the Warriors getting past the Suns if the Suns obviously move on to the next round. I don't see them getting past the Suns if they keep playing this lackadaisical. Will they focus? Probably, but you cannot. I I always say like you don't want to have bad habits going into a situation where you got to make we got to have your good habits already situated. You can't just say, oh, I'm I'm gonna. For example, if you're going on a diet, it's not a great idea to just go super hard 100% into this diet. You got to progressively get into it. So that way, when it becomes more challenging, you've already trained yourself to where. You know, you're already knowing what to eat. You're already knowing what not to eat, so on and so forth. But if you're going to say, I'm going on this strict diet tomorrow, then tomorrow comes, you're more likely to fall off the wagon. Very much like the Warriors. If you don't have good habits leading into this, and then you just go in there thinking that your good habits that you never practice, you're going to come into, or just going to turn on, they're not going to because you never practice it. You, you spent your whole season, theoretically, being a lazy team. And they're not lazy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying have, you know, utilizing your bad habits more than actually being focused where the Suns have made it a point to be a great defensive team, made it a point to be a great sounded offensive team, a very, a very sound team, very structured, very on point. That's what they'll default to the Warriors. I always see as defaulting into, Oh, they have a lot of turnovers, but they usually get past it because they have a really good offense. And then you have nights like what they had with Memphis in game five, where they are essentially losing by 55 because they're turning the ball over so much, and then the Memphis Grizzlies made them pay for it every single time. That's what I see happening for the Suns. Do I think the Suns would sweep the Warriors? No. But in like a six- or seven-game series where then that becomes the Suns having the advantage because they're more battle-tested than this particular Warriors team. not saying that, again, the Warriors team is terrible, but the Suns have been here before, especially with last year just being in the NBA Finals with all that they went through. Definitely battle tested in that sense. This Warriors team, granted, it's Clay, Steph, Draymond, all been to the playoffs, all champions, but they also have a lot of young guys that they rely on that have never been there before. And you know, that's a huge challenge. So, in my opinion, I this is this is why I think that the Warriors and the Suns, when they meet, I think that the Suns have the advantage because they play more sound, they play more discipline, they are more creatures of habit, of good habits. And I think the Warriors who are essentially a fun-to-watch team. They play really loose, which also means that they're careless with the ball. That's essentially what they default to. And I think Chris Paul is going to have such high motivation to get past Steph Curry, who has basically been probably the reason why he hasn't won a championship. I mean, 
those years when he was with the Clippers, when those Clipper teams were basically the hottest team in the NBA, Steph Curry's Warriors are basically the ones that dethroned them, or I shouldn't say dethroned, but eliminated them each time. You got to imagine that Chris Paul would love nothing more than to eliminate Steph Curry, uh, who essentially has prevented Chris Paul from getting into the NBA Finals and the championship rounds and all that stuff. So that's my take on the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Uh, Again, so tomorrow night, which is Sunday, we will have Game 7 for the Suns and the Mavs. Again, I'm I'm saying that the Suns are moving on and they're playing the Warriors, uh, which is going to be a super fun matchup, which I cannot wait. But anyways, so that's NBA playoff talk, you guys. So I'm going to take a quick break. And then when I get back, we're going to go over some Drew Tate questions. So for those that don't know, last uh, week I did a quick takes, but I'm going to change the name to Drew Takes, where I gave Drew five random sports questions that happened uh, like within that week. We didn't prep for those. I asked him those questions and I just wanted his genuine answer, what he thought on all of those. So unfortunately, as you guys know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, he's not joining me on this recording, but I will still answer the questions I had for him with my honest takes. Now, is it going to sound a little rehearsed? Probably because of course I came up with the questions, but these are what's happening in the world of sports that uh, we uh, are going over. And uh, I'm going to share them with you guys. And I want you guys in the comment section below to answer me what you guys think when I could do the Drew Take questions. So, uh, again, I will be right back. And, guys, don't go nowhere. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thank you guys so much again for joining me on this episode. As I mentioned at the top of the show, just me doing this today. Uh, I just did NBA playoff talk. So, uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed all that. Let us know down in the comments below what you think, uh, what team will move on, and how you feel that the NBA playoffs have been going on so we can get that a little interaction. Uh, again, you guys, if you guys want to uh, follow us on social media, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at Drew Code Sports Talk. Uh, can't wait to interact with you guys there. We've been pretty active on TikTok. We haven't been doing any of the dancing or anything like that. You guys definitely don't want to see Drew and I dancing, but uh, we've been putting out little clips here and there. So hopefully you guys are enjoying those. And it really appreciate if you guys gave us a follow on Twitter, uh, TikTok, and Instagram, like mentioned. So Anyways, you guys, we're going to get into some Drew Take questions. So again, you guys, at the top of the show, uh, as I'd mentioned, so these Drew Take questions are essentially what I would ask Drew, and he would then give me his real-time answer. So there was no prep. So these are questions that I keep to myself, and then I turn over and I ask him on the show, and then he gives us an authentic answer. So these are my answers since he's not doing it with us, but I think these are there's only three of them, but these are three pretty relative topics, I think, in the world of sports uh, that I think need to be answered. And I'm going to do my best to do that for you guys. So, all right. So as everybody knows, if you guys have listened to the show, I am a huge First Take fan. Every morning before I get ready for work, I am listening to First Take, Stephen A. Smith, whatever guest he has on. I remember in the days of Skip Bayless and Max Kellerman. Now it's just a rotation of other uh, you know, guests that are on there. And it's a really good show. It's one of my favorites. Um, And uh, Stephen A. Smith kind of stirred up some controversy in Lakerland uh, with basically saying that he he believes that the Lakers should consider trading LeBron James. I will just a little bit outline what the preference, uh, what the uh, premise of that was, because it is his argument is the Lakers are tied to they have no assets. They traded all their assets. draft capital essentially to get uh anthony davis and also wessel uh russell westbrook uh past off season and they have westbrook who doesn't work well in that offense 
you have a injured riddled AD and you have these bad contracts and you have no draft picks for the foreseeable future, I think until like 2027. And even still, like nobody's, it's only a one first round pick. And that's like their soonest draft pick that the Lakers have. So Stephen A. Smith's argument was the Lakers should consider it. And I will also say on here, as he did on his show, this is his opinion. This is not what he's heard through the Lakers. This is not what he thinks should happen. Well, he does think that they should consider this. But again, he mentioned that this is his opinion. It's not from the Lakers camp. It's not from LeBron's camp. And I just feel like I want to answer this. So should the Lakers consider trading LeBron James? I don't want them to trade LeBron James. Absolute best player on the planet, arguably, and also on the team. Absolutely no doubt that he is the Lakers' best player. But I kind of agree that the Lakers should consider it. And I think that what people get upset with is they assume that when a team wants to trade a player, it's because the player is bad. He's washed. He's old, this or that. It's a negative on the player. But at the same time, how many times have we heard players in whatever sport get traded to a team so they can compete for a title or be on a contender because they're tr- the team is trying to do right by that player? Do I think LeBron will get traded? No, I don't think so. I don't think LeBron wants to get traded either. But I kind of agree with Stephen A. on this on this side of it. He is the only valuable asset that they have. If tomorrow the Lakers and LeBron come out and say, yes, we're in agreement that we think a trade is necessary, please bring your best offer. LeBron James has no, well, recently has had some injury-prone seasons, but you bet that he will be there 100% in the season. When he's available to play, he makes your team better. He's taken teams like the Cleveland Cavaliers to the NBA Finals. We had no business being in the Finals. Did they lose? Yes. But everywhere he goes, he makes them better. The only exception is when the Lakers, uh, the first year he was with the Lakers, they had a really young team. Uh, I think they had Alonzo Ball. Uh, I think they had uh, Josh Hart. Uh, I, I think they had Brandon Ingram at the time as well. And then you had LeBron James. That team now sounds like almost a championship team. But... Of course, that team was really new, green, in fact. And they traded all those assets to the Pelicans to get AD. And then the rest is history. That year, they won the championship in the bubble. But can you honestly say that AD can bring you back more equity or assets than LeBron? I don't think so. AD is more injury prone, less reliable. Um as a younger age, he, <clears throat> excuse me, is injured more often. And you don't know if you're going to get him for 50 games, 70 games, 10 games. You don't know. LeBron, you can almost bet that you will get him for a minimum 70 games. Even if he is injured, even if he takes a rest day, he will probably give you a solid 70 games. And he makes your team better. He's worked on his three-point shooting, which improved. He's a great passer. Second all-time in NBA history behind Michael Jordan, in my opinion. You don't mean to tell me that that would that would draw buyers to want to give over every draft pick young player, just especially of a hungry team. That's why I think I agree with Stephen A. That the Lakers should consider it. You guys, they would no longer be in purgatory when it terms of not having a draft pick for the next literally five years. You can pair a young playmaker with AD, and if you want to keep Westbrook, you could Westbrook and AD 
probably would be somewhat of a decent team if you had a bevy of shooters and role players and contributors and you draft through uh, draft some young players in the draft depending on how high your draft pick is you it could be a, a decent team in a few years but that would only be if you're willing to trade LeBron James you're not getting the same equity back if you trade AD or Westbrook everyone saw those seasons Westbrook is going to be a lot harder just because there's so many question marks around it and I was, I 100% believe though that he'll have a bounce back season uh, but will it work with the Lakers? Probably not. AD is another question. Can he stay healthy enough? Huge question. LeBron James, greatest, second greatest player in, in NBA history. You don't mean to tell me that he can make your team better. I mean, I think the Lakers should consider it. Will that, will they happen? Will it happen? No. Do I want it to happen? No. But I can understand if, again, Stephen A. Smith puts it out there, the Lakers should consider it. Again, consider, not do it, consider it. But if they did consider it, imagine what they can do. Another problem, though, is, and this is another discussion for another day, is Lakers got to learn to develop these players that they drafted. And again, here's the offense against the Lakers, just going down the rabbit hole. They drafted Lonzo Ball, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram, uh, Julius Randle. They drafted all these terrific players, and they didn't, they essentially didn't flourish until they left the Lakers, not when they were with the Lakers. And if I haven't mentioned Lonzo Ball, that too. He turned into a better offensive weapon at the Pelicans and in Chicago. Um, So the Lakers really need to work on developing players before they even think about trading any of those three big stars referring to Westbrook, AD, or uh, LeBron James. So that's another argument. But again, I think the Lakers should consider uh, trading LeBron James if, again, they want assets, young players, not saying to be competitive, just to get out of the circumstances they are with bad contracts, no draft picks for five years, so on and so forth. So, okay, guys. So continuing on with Drew take questions. Um, so this is another huge controversial one. Uh, Jokic was announced NBA MVP earlier this week. I want to say on Monday, maybe it was last week sometime. And there's been a lot of controversy. Joel Embiid was considered MVP frontrunner. Obviously, Giannis was an MVP frontrunner. So essentially, it was those three, Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid, and the discussion of who should get MVP. And Jokic ultimately won. He's now a back-to-back MVP winner. Uh, I believe uh, he's it's now he's the third one in a row, I want to say, because Giannis was the previous back-to-back MVP. And for the life of me, I can't remember who the previous one before that was. But anyways, um, Jokic now won back-to-back MVPs. And people are upset because, obviously, his team got bounced in the first round by the Warriors. And Embiid's team just lost in the semifinals to the Miami Heat. And a lot of things, too, is obviously when uh, when Embiid came back for the Sixers in the Heat series, you know, he won them two games and tied the series when he came back. And it just seemed, honestly, instantly he was the best player Uh, on the floor that made that team better. Here's why I think that Jokic did deserve the MVP. Joel Embiid is consistently injured. And at times, obviously, he's their offensive weapon. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But when he was injured, the team did pretty well. Jokic, though, on the other hand, is the reason why the... Nuggets essentially were the third seat, 100%. And again, I will stress that this NBA MVP is not including the playoffs. This is regular season. 
I think, and I and trust me, how the MVP thing works, I don't really agree with because there's majority of the seasons where maybe Kobe Bryant should have won it more than just one time. LeBron James should have probably won it, you know, 10 years in a row being in Cleveland and Miami and back into Cleveland. You know, number of players should have won this multiple times over if we really were looking at MVP and maybe even other players that we never heard of, you know, but it's never fair. It never will be. And it's a regular season award. So who is the best player in the regular season for their team? That's Jokic. You know, if he, if Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic were all back together, they would probably be, they probably would have gotten past the Warriors or they probably would have been the number one seed. But Jokic played nearly every game, had these crazy stats where he was a rebounder, distributor, scorer, got his team to the third seed where he went against the Warriors. Did they lose sooner than they wanted to? Yeah, 100%. But Joel Embiid in the East, without Embiid, had a better, yes, he had a better somewhat season, but they had more weapons on there that got them into a higher seat as they did. And yeah, they went on further, but Jokic was still deserving just because what he had to go through, his adversity, um, you know, his, what he did to contribute for his team, in my opinion, was more valuable than Embiid. Embiid obviously is the best player on his team. And so is Jokic. But if Jokic wasn't on the Nuggets, the Nuggets would be a bottom feeder team. Embiid, if he's not on the Sixers, I don't think the Sixers are as successful, but you still have Maxi, You still have Tobias Harris. At the time, before the James Harden trade, you had had Ben Simmons. I'm going to just not include him in the starting lineup, though. You did have Seth Curry. You did have Andre Drummond. And you did have some other players in there that probably could have made just somewhat competitive. Nuggets did not have anyone that would make them competitive than Jokic. I will also stress it's an MVP award in the regular season, which is why I think Jokic deservingly won it back-to-back years he clearly was the most valuable player on his Nuggets team because without him they are not the third seam in the West and arguments could be made that the West is more competitive than the East so therefore yeah Jokic was way more valuable to his team in that circumstance do I agree with it I really don't agree with the MVP to begin with there's a lot of players that should have won it didn't win it I mean, nowadays with how the Bucks are playing and how Giannis put up a 44 and 20 game, the argument could be made that neither one of those guys deserve it. It's Giannis because of what he did for his team. You take Giannis off that team, Bucks go nowhere. They don't win no championship. They don't go to no playoffs. Giannis is that 100% reason. But we know that the MVP doesn't do that. So, anyways, that's my th- that's my uh, take on that one. All right, next one is a little bit more of a fun one. So on Monday, Shaq put out a clip on his, from his podcast where um, he basically thinks that Utah Jazz should blow up and Rudy Gobert needs to go, Donovan Mitchell needs to go. Spice Adams, I believe, who's a regular on his show, basically said that he thinks that Rudy Gobert could, could hold Shaq to 12 points. Shaq pushed back, said no, he couldn't, you know, yada, yada, yada. From there... Rudy Gobert then tweeted out, I would lock his ass up. And then obviously the entire world has had to remind Rudy Gobert, absolutely not. And I'm here to say, there's no way on God's green earth that Rudy Gobert holds Shaq to anything. (laughs) So I remember the 2002 NBA finals with the New Jersey Nets at the time. 
I think there was a player named Aaron Williams who was like a backup center for the Nets. I think it was in the closeout game, game four. By the way, the Lakers swept the Nets in this series, and I'm talking about again. This is oh, this is 2002. I want to say this is the three-peat that the Lakers won. Shaq clearly the most dominant force on that court. This Aaron Williams guy basically fouled out in five minutes. Six fouls in five minutes. He he wasn't in the game long enough for a cup of coffee. And I envision Rudy Gobert doing the same thing. I don't know what Rudy Gobert is probably a really good defensive player in this era. You know, he's did he deserve to win defensive player of the year? I think it was a couple years ago. Sure. Does that mean you can keep up with Shaq? Absolutely not. Shaq would humiliate you in ways that you never thought were possible. Just look at the bodies of centers that he went against. Elijah one, David Robinson, uh, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. We haven't even gotten to any other players other than, you know, Hall of Fame players. That's not including McKinney Matumbo is probably what uh, what Rudy Gobert is compared to physically, maybe a more athletic one as what the argument is. And McKinney Matumbo could not stop Shaq. Yao Ming, who is significantly taller than all these players, could not stop Shaq. Nobody is stopping Shaq. Rudy Gobert is not stopping Shaq. So <laughs> I think the funnier thing is I don't think Rudy Gobert believes that he can stop Shaq either. But of course, he can't let him, he can't let uh, Shaq punk him like that. And, you know, kudos to him. But realistically, there's absolutely no way that Rudy Gobert is locking Shaq up for any which reason at all. Not on, not on this planet, not on any other planet, not in any universe, already multiverse, if you're a Marvel fan or a DC fan. There is no possible way in any universe that Shaq is locked up by Rudy Gobert. Shaq in every possible scenario, future, past, present, would absolutely annihilate Rudy Gobert. So anyways, that's my take on that. So, okay, you guys. Well, I'll let you guys, uh, I'll let you guys uh, out. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. I appreciate you guys listening to me on this solo show. Uh, again, you guys can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now on TikTok at Drew Code Sports Talk. Uh, you guys can leave comments, uh, share, like, all that good stuff. Also, don't forget about us on our YouTube channel. We post there pretty often. So I would say if you guys ever find yourself on YouTube and you guys uh, search up our page, subscribe to us, like, share, comment, all that good stuff. Uh, and also to you guys, don't forget to go to uh, the link in our bio where you guys can go to fnxfit.com, use our promo code DrewCode15, get 15% off your purchase. They are a really good partner and they are a, a pretty big player in the in the health and fitness world with supplements and workout gear. So uh, Drew and I have had a really great time partnering with them. And so we want you guys to benefit what we do. So uh, please go to the link in our bio, uh, Drew, uh, which is at the bottom of this uh, episode card. And you guys want to go to fnxfit.com, use promo code DrewCode15 to get 15% off your total purchase. So definitely go there when you guys get an opportunity and you guys will not regret it. So that being said you guys we thank you guys so much for listening to us again don't forget to follow us subscribe download all that good stuff and we'll catch you guys on the next episode and again quick housekeeping note like i mentioned at the top of the show uh nba schedule came out on the 12th we will be doing our record prediction in the next two weeks so be on the lookout for that and with that being said guys we'll see you guys next week thank you Never waste time, you got one shot, you got one life, better pop off, what do you like, make a dream job, no 9-5, no mean boss, just my life and free thoughts.
try to play, but you never do.